We are live from the great state of Tennessee. I'm your host, Patrick Simpson, and this is Paranoia, the podcast where we break down conspiracy theories and unsolved mysteries, separate fact from fiction. So we got two quick stories of the week. One probably more interesting than the other. First one says, news alert, Miley Cyrus and Demi Lovato reveal seeing aliens and UFOs. Not really sure what to make out of this, but I'll see what it says. Miley Cyrus recently had a run-in with aliens as she gave an interview with all the details about this. She claimed in an interview that she had a close encounter with a UFO and locked eyes with an extraterrestrial pilot. But she's not the only celebrity who claims to have done so. Miley Cyrus claimed she was traveling through Southern California with a friend when they were pursued by a, quote, flying snowplow. I was driving through San Bernardino with my friend and I got chased down by some sort of UFO. Also bought weed wax from a guy in a van in the front of a taco shop. So it could have just been the weed wax. Yeah, Miley. I'm probably going to say yes. But fellow pop star Demi Lovato claims to have encounters with aliens too. Demi took to Instagram and wrote UFOs, ET intelligence, and initiating peaceful contact with ET civilizations. I also have witnessed the most incredibly profound sightings both in the sky as well as feet away from me, accompanied with blurry footage and still lights of unknown origin. So I am a big conspiracy theorist if you didn't realize that, and I love hearing stories but then there are stories that just honestly do more harm than good. Like, I do believe that there are legitimate stories out there. Then there's just people like this that make me sound even more crazier than I realized. Now, could these two have really have seen something? Of course. I mean, maybe. But in the most respectful way possible, I would have to assume it was the weed, the drugs something, like I said, I don't want to be disrespectful because I know some of these people have dealt with actual drug problems, but more than likely, this is what it has to do with. So, and it's kind of frustrating because when you see stuff like this, people associate me with these kind of people as just nutcases. But as you see in our second story, sometimes there are more legitimate type sightings. And this one was just yesterday. It says longtime pilot photographs mysterious orange orb in daytime sky over New North Carolina mountains. So 45-year-old pilot Charles Cobb is sitting in a North Carolina mountains and He's an 88-year-old Korean War veteran. He's been a pilot for 45 years, but he's 88 years old. He was a Korean War veteran. He sees a weird orb, and he takes a picture of it with his iPad. Can't really see much, of course. You can never see anything when it comes to UFOs. But he says it's hard to tell the size. He just says it was dropping and then it it would drop 15,000 feet, and then it would shoot back up 30,000 feet. He said the object at one point vanished and then reappeared. He said the aircraft was flying parallel, so it couldn't have been a comet. 
Um, like I said, it's kind of a confusing story. But if you want to, you can look at the picture. It looks like a comet. I mean, it's definitely not a jet. It's definitely not a plane. I mean, it is a gigantic orange orb. And according to people that are actually in charge of this stuff, they said there was no kind of comets, no kind of anything like that in the air on this day. So what is it? You can look at the picture and tell me. I don't know if UFOs are bright orange orbs, but what kind of bright orange orbs shoot down at that speed and then shoot back up? Like I said, it's an 88-year-old war veteran. He could just be blind and not know what he's seeing. But he's also doesn't strike me as a guy that just makes stuff up. So like I said, you got two different things on the same day. You got Miley Cyrus and Demi Lovato saying that they have seen ETs. Then you got an 88-year-old man that takes a picture of an orange orb that is just popping up and down like Pac-Man throughout the day. They both could be false alerts. They both could be true alerts. I don't know. But like I said, I always say on this podcast, I can't say I give you facts, but I'm not just going to be on here spewing that every single thing I see or hear is true. So I would go a check for the 88-year-old war veteran and a X for Miley Cyrus and Demi Lovato. But you can decide. Maybe you give them both checks. Maybe you give them both X's. I don't know. That's for you to decide. So unless you've literally been living in a world with no internet, no TV, no movies, basically nothing, you more than likely know the story of the Titanic. You may not know a lot of details, but you at least know the gist of it and have probably seen the movie that that's three hours long. So it was the large ship traveling from England to America, and it was touted as, quote, unsinkable. And there was a lot of hype going into this voyage. But the ship ended up hitting an iceberg on the way, resulting in 1,500 deaths. But unlike the movie, there is a belief that this was 100% avoidable, and some even believe that it was planned. This is the true story of the Titanic. Everybody knows why the Titanic went down. She hit an iceberg, and despite being supposedly designed as unsinkable, she sank and took 1,500 lives with her. But that, the filmmakers say, isn't the whole story. So let's take a few minutes to get some background on the sinking of the ship. Then we can really dig into the conspiracy behind this story. So on April 12, 1912, the Great Titanic took off from England with the destination of New York City. There were 2,224 people on board. There was a wide range of people from super rich to poor, some more important than others, which we'll get into here soon at the end. Again, with all the money and time poured into this ship, it was advertised as unsinkable. So the thought of it not making it wasn't even in people's minds going into this. Now, here's the thing about their encounter with the iceberg. It wasn't like it had just came out of nowhere as if they weren't expecting it. There had been warnings of iceberg scares the entire voyage. The radio operators had received six messages from other ships warning of icebergs in the path. The ship hit the iceberg at 11.30 p.m., but their first warning was at 9 a.m. that day. These continued 
scattered two, three hours apart throughout the day until they received the final message at 1030 from the SS California, stating that there were, quote, a great number of icebergs. Here's the problem. This message never made it to the captain. It didn't even leave the message room. The claim is that the message room was behind on sending and receiving messages. So they kind of just blew off this warning because they were preoccupied with previous messages. So even though they didn't receive this final message that may have could have saved them, they did receive er the earlier ones. So they knew that icebergs were in the area regardless. But despite this, they did not reduce the ship's speed and were basically going at maximum speed the entire time. They had promised their passengers a strict arrival time, and that was their main focus. In addition, it was believed that ice really did impose a risk to the ship, so this led to the crew not taking the iceberg warning seriously. So, basically, customer service was above safety. Like we'll discover later on, there were some really, really high-profile people, rich people, on this ship that they needed to make happy, and that was all that they were really focused on. Another key fact is that the crew did not have binoculars, so they couldn't even see anything far away. All they could see is whatever their eye vision was. Apparently, the closet that they were locked in, the crew member that had the keys to this closet, I guess a high-ranking person, was fired the day before the ship took off. So they didn't even see the actual iceberg until they were a fourth of a mile away, which in theory is enough time, but everything would have to go perfectly which of course it didn't. They attempted to pull what they call a, quote, harder port around the iceberg. So basically they just attempted to swing around it rather than just basically go at a completely different angle and then get back on course later. With all the moving pieces, the information was not relayed in time, so nothing was moving in unison. Also, in 2010, Louise Patton stated that her granddad, Charles Lightroller, told her that a crew member on the ship had panicked and turned the rudder in the wrong direction. We have no clue to know how valid this is because everyone at this time now has passed away, but it's not hard to believe that with all this chaos going on, that there probably was some either miscommunication or just people being super nervous and doing the wrong thing. Regardless, they were actually able to move the ship in time to avoid a head-on collision, but that was it. The iceberg made a direct hit with the side of the ship, and the ship slowly began to sink over the course of two and a half hours. This shouldn't have been the end of the story, though. The ship, you think this was like one of the biggest ships ever. This ship was big enough to hold enough lifeboats for everyone, but there were only 20, enough for the crew to do any kind of routine operations off the ship. We have to believe that this was due to the overconfidence in the Titanic. The thought of sinking was not in their minds, so they didn't even have a plan for it. But if they did, everyone could have got off on a lifeboat with almost no casualties. But instead, 1,500 men, women, and children died. Both the United States and Great Britain investigated all these things, but neither found any kind of negligence to be a factor. They categorized this as a, quote, act of God and that it was unavoidable. So, end of the story, right? Maybe, but not so fast on this podcast. So this isn't really a conspiracy part, but it's something very interesting, some background about the Titanic. 
If you didn't know, the story about Jack and Rose is not a true story. I wonder how many people actually think it was, but it's not a true story. They're not real characters on the Titanic. But the stories of the actual characters of the Titanic is actually pretty interesting, starting with the Navratil orphans. So you got two little boys named Michael and Edmund. They're on the Titanic in 1912 with their father, Michael Sr., who was just in the recent separation from their mother, Marcel. Marcel had one custody of the children, but she allowed them to visit Michael over the Easter holiday. And Michael said, I guess, according to him, I guess his wife had an affair. So that's why he broke up with her or separated from her. But anyway, because of her affair, he didn't think she should get the rights to have the children. So he uses that weekend to run away with the children to the United States. He buys second class tickets to the Titanic. And obviously he doesn't make it. But the good news is, is on that night that the Titanic sunk, he was able to get the boys on a lifeboat. And it was actually the very last lifeboat to leave the ship. So they barely made it. And Michael Jr., who was only three at the time, says that his father gave him, I guess I'm assuming a piece of paper. I doubt he remembered it, but he gave him some paper with a final message. Says, my child, when your mother comes for you, as she surely will, tell her that I loved her dearly and still do. Tell her I expected her to follow us so that we might all live happily ever after in the peace and freedom of the new world. And like I said, those were his last words. He didn't make it, but the two kids did survive. But they get to America, and like I said, they're kids, and they don't know any English, and they're stuck in New York. But luckily, a French-speaking woman who also was on the Titanic and survived took care for them. And what ends up happening is, obviously, the Titanic is an absolutely huge, gigantic story. So there's pictures of all the survivors going around. And they end up taking a picture of these two little boys and their photographs make it in the newspapers all around the world. And their mother at this time is sitting home in France and has absolutely no clue where her estranged husband and kids are. Like she had no clue they got on the Titanic or nothing. She opens the newspaper and spots them in a photo in America. So on May 16th, more than a month after the Titanic went down, she ends up in New York, and they all return to France and basically live happily ever after. That in itself, that whole story between the husband, wife, and the kids, the runaway, he still loves her. That in itself, you could have just did the Titanic on that. We didn't even need to make up Rose and Jack. That in itself, I think, would have made for a really great story. And that was actually true. Just think about that. Another interesting story is a guy that we actually talked about earlier by the name of Charles Lightroller. He was one of the officers on the ship. And after, as the ship is going down, he was basically in charge of some of the lifeboats. And if you didn't watch the movie, you don't remember, they had a woman and children first rule. There was supposed to be really no men getting on the boats at all unless there were some left. It was only supposed to be women and children. And he was sticking to this rule so strictly that he was letting lifeboats go into the water empty rather than letting any men occupy them. He said this is a different time back then. Men were supposed to go down with 
dignity and pride and as long as the women and children were okay. So he was really strict on this. And he survived by basically what you would see in a science fiction movie. He did not get on a lifeboat. He intended on going down with the ship, and he did. He was on the Titanic as it went underwater. But a few feet below the surface, the ship's boiler exploded, and that caused a big blast of air that sent him back up to the surface of the ocean. Once he gets back to the top, he swims to an overturned piece of wood, basically, like from the movie. And he joined them and basically showed them how to shift their weight to keep their little piece of wood from sinking. So not only did he he survive, but he also helps people who probably would have ended up tipping their little boat. He helps them survive, too. So together they make it through the night. And Light Roller was the last survivor to step foot on the rescue ship. He made sure everybody else got on before this. And, I mean, this in itself, like I said, another thing you could probably put on the movie. This man is on the ship, doesn't want to get on a lifeboat, drowns with the ship. But because something underwater explodes, that blast of water sends him to the top and saves his life. Now, if that ain't, I don't even know what you would call that. I don't know if it's karma, God, whatever you want to call it. That in itself is worth, his his whole story is worth a movie itself. So really quickly, we're going to go over some of the conspiracies that I'm not on board with, and they are pretty crazy, but they're funny and worth discussing. And maybe if you're a really, really big conspiracy theorist, you might actually be on board with it. So... First, there is the mummy curse. And this is a rumor, but apparently a mummified princess was excavated and removed from Egypt. It was bought by a British art collector and purchased by an American archaeologist. It is believed that after purchasing the mummy, this archaeologist headed back to New York on the Titanic. But of course, they never made it. Now, again, we have absolutely no idea if this is actually true. And honestly, it's probably false. I think there will be more information about a mummy being on the Titanic. But you never know. One of the more popular theories is that the ship was attacked by a German U-boat. In 1950, 1915, a German U-boat torpedoed the Lustiana, killing 1,198 people. In addition, a number of survivors on the Titanic noticed a unidentified vessel that was five to six miles away on the day of the sinking. There's no evidence to support this, but again, it's not beyond the realms of comprehension. As we know, this was a little bit before World War One, so Germany was kind of doing some kind of sketchy things that basically started this war, so maybe this was one of them. You just never really know. Another interesting theory is that the Titanic never really sank. It is rumored that the Olympic, which was the Titanic sister vessel, basically the same size, is the one that actually went down. This is because it may have been an insurance scam by the International Mercantile Marine Company. In 1912, the Olympic crashed into a warship, but they were blamed for the crash and therefore did not receive any of their insurance money they thought they would get. 
So according to this theory, they fixed up the Olympic and pretended that it was the Titanic. And by sinking the same ship, basically under a different name, they finally received the payout that they feel like they deserved from 1912. But also, according to this theory, no one was actually supposed to die. It was supposed to sink slowly enough that another ship would arrive in time to rescue everyone. Obviously, if this idiotic plan was true, it did not work at all. I am not on board with this, but there are a lot of people. It's a pretty popular theory. A lot of people on board with this. But that brings me to the last one, the biggest conspiracy of them all. And there's actually some truth to this theory. J.P. Morgan, yes, that J.P. Morgan, like the bank, actually had a ticket to ride on the Titanic. But at the very, literally the very last minute, he decided not to get on. And he wasn't just a regular passenger. He actually owned the company that made the ship. So he had his own personal suite, a deck, and a custom-made bath on the ship. But yet, despite all this, he still decided not to go. So who was on the ship? Well, billionaires John Astor, Benjamin Guggenheim, and Isadoria Shrays, who owned Macy's, was on the ship. Why these three people are important is because these were the three people that opposed the Federal Reserve Bank, which J.P. Morgan was trying to create in America. With them out the way, the Federal Reserve Bank was created a year later. If you didn't know, these three billionaires did die on the Titanic. So once they, except once they died out the way, the Federal Reserve Bank did come to America a year later. The thing you have to ask yourself is, would J.P. Morgan really risk 2,000 people's lives just to kill three? I would say no, probably not. I mean, there are other ways to kill someone. But I guess if you took him out in like an assassination type way, that would put more eyes on him. So I guess doing it on the ship would make it less of a conspiracy. I would probably still say no. But if you are to believe this theory, I would say rather than he like being the big conspirator behind this, I would say that someone else on his side when it comes to the Federal Reserve Bank probably planned this and then gave him a last minute heads up. And he basically just didn't say anything. Still hard to believe. But as I always say, people have killed for way worse. And regardless of if this is true or not, the Titanic had a bigger impact on us than we realize. So now I'm not going to give you a history lesson on how important the Federal Reserve is and what it all is and all that. That's what Google's for. You know, look into it. If you don't know, learn something about the United States economy. But the Federal Reserve has had a gigantic impact on how where we are as a nation now. So this one ship literally changed the course of U.S. history. The question is, was Mother Nature just on our side or did she receive a helping hand? That is it for the true story of the sinking of the Titanic. Really hope you enjoyed this episode. I would assume you learned something new. Maybe you already knew this, but hopefully learn at least a couple, couple cool facts about this. As always, you can follow me on Twitter at underscore Patrick Simpson. Haven't been as active lately, but I'll be back active this week. You've been doing, like I said, a great job of tagging me and stuff, sending me conspiracies. 
everything you send me I'll write down I'll eventually end up covering got some actually I think my next two actually were suggestions from people on Twitter so as always just hit me up on there I try to reply respond as much as possible and let's keep this community growing if you haven't subscribed I really appreciate it if you subscribe leave a review you can leave however many stars you want five would be nice but you can leave whatever you want just leave an honest review really helps me get seen really helps grow the community as always i'll be on instagram a little bit more i say that every week i know but really really i promise this week i'm gonna get the instagram set up a couple of you have already followed me on there i'm kind of slacking on it i know not everybody has twitter not everybody follows me from twitter so i will have instagram up and running because i know there's tons of suggestions i probably honestly will never be a facebook but you never know in the future i might end up doing it but of course we'll be back next monday with a very new episode my name is patrick simpson and this is paranoid